good to be back in the Lord's house tonight. We appreciate each of you that have made your way here, and we're praying that God will just move in our midst tonight, and we're so grateful that you have come to be a part of this service. If you'd take your Bible and turn with us to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read some scripture there and just share with you two or three thoughts that we find in these passages of scripture. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. If you'd stand with us as we read the Word of God tonight, we'd appreciate that. These are the words of Jesus. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you care about us, Lord, and Father, that you speak to our hearts from your word, and Lord, you direct our lives. Father, we thank you for your love that you have so magnificently shown to us. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus into this world to take our place upon the cross, and Lord, you allowed us to go free. Father, you provided salvation for us that no other person could ever do. And Lord, we pray tonight that as we read your word and study it tonight, that Father, that you would just illuminate our mind, that you would anoint our lips, that you would speak through us tonight the words that you would have to be spoken. And may you be glorified, may you be magnified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated, please. Heard about a man and wife eating breakfast one morning. The wife looked over at her husband and she said, do you know what today is? He thought a minute and he kind of stuttered and stammered and he said, uh, yeah, yeah, I know what today is. And he starts off to work and he hands his wife a hundred dollar bill and says, Honey, I want you to take this and go out and buy yourself something pretty today. 
and said, when I come in tonight, said, we're going to go to our favorite place and have a good meal. We're going to celebrate today. He goes to work and all day long he thinks, I know it's not her birthday. I know it's not Christmas. I know it's not Mother's Day. Well, he comes home. Sure enough, she'd went out and she'd bought her a new dress. She had it on. They drive to their favorite restaurant. They eat a sumptuous meal. And they're driving back home. She's over in the passenger seat and she's so relaxed. And she looks over at her husband and she says, Honey, this has been the best groundhog day of my life. <laughs> He worried about some things he didn't need to worry about, didn't he? There's three questions that arise out of this passage of Scripture tonight that I want us to consider. Those questions are this. Who will you serve? What will you worry about? And what will you seek? Jesus talks about these three things. First of all, he talks about who will you serve? Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. Why? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. I recall a time when Joshua stood before the people of God. He was the new leader. They had been following Moses and following God for those 40 years out there in the wilderness. But now Moses had died and Joshua had become their leader. And Joshua challenges them, choose you this day whom you will serve. And that's a, that's a challenge that comes to us down through our life, to choose who we're going to serve. And Jesus makes it pretty plain here. We can't serve two masters. We'll either hate one of them and love the other, or else we'll despise one and hold to the other. And Jesus tells us then what those two masters are there in the latter part of that verse. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is another name for money. You cannot serve God and money. They just won't go together. You have to make your choice. You have to make up your mind which one you're going to serve. We live in an age today that is very... Uh, money-minded, and many people have chosen to serve money rather than to serve God. They've chosen to give one up in order to serve the other. We see that happening all over, not just our part of the world, but all over this world, it seems, that wherever you go, that the most important thing is making money, getting rich, living well. There's nothing wrong with those kind of things if you do it and love God. But God has a different plan, you see, than man does. Our plan is that to work and get all you can and can all you get and then sit on the can. But God has a plan for us. God, God has a way of providing our needs. And he, he talks about this here. He says, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought 
for your life. Now that word thought, is, it's a translation of a word that means don't worry about your life. Jesus is not saying never take your life into account. Jesus is not saying don't be concerned about your life. We are to be concerned about our life. But don't worry about our life. You see, we have to choose who we will serve. And when we've made that choice, that takes care of a lot of the worrying part. People worry. I remember many years ago, I went to see my mom one day, and my oldest brother was a truck driver. And I was sitting there talking to mom, and she said, I got a call from Delmer today. And I said, oh, uh, where's he at? She said, he's over in South Carolina. And he's had a kidney stone attack, and he's in the hospital there. And she says, I've been worried about that all day. All I can do is worry and pray. I said, now, Mom, there's something wrong with that. Worrying and praying just don't go together. Pray for him, yes, but don't worry about him. Leave it in God's hands. And it kind of changed her perspective on things. When, and you see, that, that's something that we have to come to deal with. When we're worrying about it, we're trying to think, how can I change this situation? How can I handle this situation? When we ought to be saying, God, here it is. You take it, you handle it. He says, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. There's a lot of people, that, that's, their, that's their God, you know, their God's their stomach. I, think, I believe it was Paul said that about the Galatian people, that they were slow bellies and that God was their stomach. The, uh, all that kind, and it, it comes into our lives. It comes into play in our lives if we're not careful. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you'll drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Now those are three important things in our life, eating and drinking and, and wearing what we have. But they're not the most important things. They shouldn't be things that, that make us to worry. He says, is not life more than meat and the body more than clothing? Well, yes it is. Life is more than what we eat. Some people say they eat to live and other people live to eat. You know, it all depends on your perspective on it. But there, we're so caught up in this thing today of fashion and all that kind of stuff, and we have to have this kind of clothing and that kind of clothing, and it, it just continues to dominate our lives and gets our mind off of what we really need to be thinking about. Jesus gives us some examples here. In verse 26, he says, Look at the fowls of the air. Go out and become a bird watcher. Just go out there and begin to watch the birds. They don't sow. They don't go out and plant crops. They don't reap crops. They'll help you eat yours. Nor gather into barns. They don't have barns that they store up stuff in. He says, but yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God takes care of the birds of the air. And we've got a bird feeder in our backyard and, and uh, Francis enjoys sitting out there on the back porch and watching those birds come and eat. 
I'll tell you something else that it brings in. The squirrels like it too. <laughs> she, she was trying to figure out how to keep the squirrels out from her, her bird feeder. And it's up on one of those little skinny iron poles, you know, on a crook. She thought, well, I'll get some Vaseline and put on that pole. Those squirrels, they climb that pole. Well, they figured out another way to get there. I don't know, but they get up on it somehow or other, and they, they eat the bird seed. But God's feeding them too, you see. He, he's got it for them there too. And Jesus said in verse 27, Which of you by taking thought or by worry can add one cubit unto his stature? Now, a cubit is about a foot and a half. And you don't grow taller by worrying about it. There's some of you fellows here that you're, you're pretty tall. Now, I'm on the short end of the spectrum when it comes to heights like that. But don't worry about it. I found out that short fellows don't bump their head near as much as tall fellows do. So there's a blessing in being short in, in some ways there like that. Why take your thought for raiment? Why are you worried about your clothes? And that's a big deal in our society today. You can see advertisements all the time on TV and these kind of clothes and those kind of clothes. It's coming spring, you know, so uh, my, my computer gets bombarded from Belk and JCPenney and all these other retailers that they want you to buy their products. And that, you know, we need clothing, but we don't need be, to be obsessed with it. He said, why take your thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. Just go out and start looking at the flowers. Go out and start looking and see. Do they need clothes? No. He says, go out and consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not. They don't do any work. Neither do they spin. They're not out there weaving cloth or anything of that sort to put on themselves and to make themselves look prettier. But yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory, and Solomon was considered to be the richest man that had ever lived. No doubt he had the best of everything. He probably had clothes that were maybe woven out of silver or gold and all those kind of things. I don't know what all Solomon had, but Jesus uses him here as a reference about his glory. And that word glory always has a meaning of something that shines. Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon couldn't stand up to one lily out there in the field when it come to being beautiful. If God so clothed the, the grass of the field which today is. It's there today, but it's gone tomorrow. Which today is, and tomorrow it shall be cast into the oven. Grass was used a lot in those days to put in ovens for the ladies to bake the bread and those kind of things. The quick, hot 
thing to, to cook your meals with. And Jesus said, Shall he not much more clothe you? If God does this for the lilies of the field, if God takes care of the birds of the air, will he not take care of you? Absolutely. And notice what he says, O ye of little faith. You see, when we worry about these things, we're not putting our faith in the Lord. We're worrying about inconsequential things, and it lessens our faith. Instead of having great faith, he called it little faith. And I don't know how little it might be because Jesus compared faith one time as if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and it shall be done. And a mustard seed is so tiny that you can barely see it. They tell us it's the smallest of all the seed. Yet Jesus compared that to our faith. That if we have faith that much, that we can speak and things will be done. But here he says, oh, ye of little faith. And he, he sums up the, the worry part here. Therefore, for these reasons, take no thought. Don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what kind of clothing you're going to have. That's, I'm paraphrasing that. And he tells us why in verse 32. And this is, this is important. And Matthew put it in parentheses here. For all of these things do the Gentiles seek. When Jesus was speaking this, of course, he was speaking to Jewish people. All of his followers were Jewish people at that time. And when he's saying this, he's saying, all these things do the Gentiles seek. Those who are not following after God. Those who are not my disciples. They're not believers in me. That's the kind of things they go after. Don't be like them. You're different. You're people of faith. You're not people of worry. Don't worry about these things. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Underline that word, things. You see, all of those that we've just mentioned, they're things. They'll all pass away someday. Well, who, who are we gonna, what will we seek? That's the next question. Well, who will you serve? What will you seek after? Or what will you worry about? I'm sorry. And what will you seek? And I think these are some of the most important words found in the Scripture. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Listen to that promise. All these things shall be added unto you. 
I think I've probably told you about the, how that verse came to play in my life many years ago. God began to deal with me to give up my secular job. I was pastoring a bivocational church, Union MacMahon, over in Nyota. And God began to deal with me to give up my secular job. I was the manager of Monroe Auto Parts in Madisonville, worked for Leon and Pearl Harvey, making good money for that day in that job. And I'd wrestle with that. I was trying to come to grips with it because I knew I'd look over at the board that church had a board up there every Sunday they put the attendance and how much offering was and all those kind of things and I'd look at that and I'd say Lord if I gave up my job and they paid me every cent that came in I still couldn't meet my obligations on that but God kept dealing with me we had Earl Taylor there in revival and Earl got up to preach on the Sunday morning. And I still got this mental picture in my mind. I was sitting on the front pew. And Earl was about six foot four. He leaned over the pulpit and looked out at the congregation and said, Church, have you ever thought about putting your pastor on the field full time? Man, I felt like sliding under the pew. I hadn't told anybody about that. Hadn't even told Francis about it. Went home that afternoon and was studying to preach for that night. And this passage of Scripture was the passage that God laid on my heart. It was in the fall of the year in early October. We had a swing out in the yard under a tree. And Francis was sitting out in the yard. And I went out and sat down beside her. I didn't say anything. She looked over at me and she said, when are you going to resign your job? I said, probably in the morning. And I went to church that night and I preached on this passage of Scripture. And I stood before that church that night and I said, church, God is leading me into the ministry on a full-time basis. And I don't know if you want a full-time pastor or not. I don't know if God wants me to continue as your pastor or not. I just know God is dealing with me. And tonight I'm just surrendering to what God wants me to do. I went in the next morning and gave my resignation a 30-day notice that in 30 days, I would be leaving my job. Miss Harvey said to me, "Why, well, you little jack-leg preacher, you'll starve to death. I never have found out what a jack-leg preacher is, but that's what I got called. But I haven't missed a meal. That was back in 1975. Island Creek Church in Madisonville they were out of a pastor, and I, they heard that I was wanting to be a full-time pastor, and they come and asked me to come and preach at their church. And I did, and 
They offered me the job and I said, no, God wants me to stay right where I'm at. The next Sunday morning, we went into Union McMahon Church and preached and they said, we're going to have a business meeting to vote whether or not to call you as full-time pastor. They voted and called me as a full-time pastor. They stepped out on faith and I stepped out on faith. But God worked in that. God used me to help that church began to give like it should give and support their pastor like they should support him. I took a big cut in pay, but God took care of us. But that church has had full-time pastors from then until this very day. So God used me there to help that church. I look back on it and I, I see it's a time in my life where I grew. And incidentally, I, I had told Island Creek, I said, I may be your pastor someday, but not right now. January 1st, 1978 was my last Sunday at Union McMahon. I resigned. Nowhere to go. Monday night I was standing on the street over in Athens watching the Christmas parade. Some man walked up behind me and he said, what are you doing down here? And I said, well, I'm watching a Christmas parade. He was the owner of Standard Auto Parts in Athens. He said, if you ever need a job, let me know. I said, well, I just gave up my church. He said, do you need a job? I said, yeah, I really do. He said, come and see me. He put me to work. I worked there 30 days. And Island Creek called me as their pastor. <laughs> God took care of it, you see. I told him when I went to work there at Standard Auto Parts, I said, now, I may not be with you long. God's called me into the pastor full time. And he said, well, we'll keep you as long as we can. He sent me word after I'd taken Island Creek Church. And I, I took it as a compliment. He said, I, I don't know what the church is paying you, but I'll pay you three times as much if you'll come back. And I said, no, sir. I'm where God wants me to be. Pastored there for five and a half, six years, something like that. God began to deal with me to go to Michigan, of all places, to go to Michigan. I went up there on a mission trip with Benny Creel. We were, I was the chairman of the mission committee of Sweetwater Association, and there were three of us that went up there, and we, we spent several days just driving around in that association it covered 11 counties in Michigan. And they only had something like nine or 10 churches. 
the day before we left to come back home. We went out and met with a little group that was trying to start a church. They had found a piece of property that they wanted to buy, but they didn't have any money. Sweetwater Baptist Association voted to buy that for them. Five acres of property. I was invited to go and preach a revival at another church in Michigan. I went and preached. God kept dealing with me. He wanted me in Michigan. I told Benny Creel about it and Benny said, well, I'm going up there next week. If you'll give me a resume, he said, I'll take it. I didn't know what you put in a resume. I sat down and hand wrote kind of my testimony and what God was saying to me. They asked me to come and preach a revival, a weekend revival there. They were meeting in a rented school room. And I went and preached, and God moved in that revival. God saved some folks there. And they asked me, will you come and be our pastor? And I said, I don't know. God's leading me to Michigan, but I don't know if it's this church. Really wasn't a church. It was just a, a chapel, a little group of people meeting. And I came back home and began to pray about it studying to preach one day and over in the book of Acts. That passage of Scripture where Paul got a vision of a man saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Boy, God sunk that into my heart. and I called Francis and I said, we're going to Michigan. We're going to Harbor Creek. Now you see, there was no church. Just a little group of people meeting in a rented schoolroom. Their director of missions contacted me. And he said, I want you to apply to the Home Mission Board, as NAM is called now, the Home Mission Board. He said, perhaps they can give us some financial help to help pay you. I wrote them a letter and told them what God was saying to me. I'd resigned my church at Island Creek. I had a U-Haul truck backed up to the door and we were loading stuff in it. And I saw the mailman stop at my mailbox and I went and got the mail, and here was a, a letter from the Home Mission Board. And in big, bold print, it said, Do not move on to the mission field until you hear from us. I showed it to Frances, and she said, Well, what are we going to do? I said, We're going on to Michigan. God's the one sending us there, not the Home Mission Board. God just worked in that. 
we loaded that truck and drove those 612 miles. We got there and the church had found a house that was going to be available. And it was right across the street from the school where they were meeting. We got in there on a Friday afternoon. And those people were loading their truck to move out. <laughs> I went up and knocked on the door and a lady came to the door and I introduced myself and I said, I understand that this is the house that we're to move in. She said, well, we're not out yet. You ain't moving in here today. I said, no, ma'am. <laughs> I just wanted you to know we're here. So we spent the night with one of the church members and the next day we moved in. About a week later, I got a, a letter from the home mission board saying, we've never approved anybody that doesn't have a seminary degree. But since you have 12 years of pastoral experience, we're going to step out on faith and, and partially fund you. And they were faithful to do that. Every month they, they sent the church a check to help pay my salary. It reduced down every so many months. But for the almost six years I was there, we were a recipient. We were called church planner apprentices. And I, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering is a very special offering for me because I, I have benefited from it. And I, I know of other pastors that benefited from it. There were many pastors there in Michigan when I was there that were struggling. I, I, I talked to one one day and he, he got out along the road. Michigan charged you 10 cents a can deposit on every canned drink you bought, whether it was Coke or beer or whatever. And a lot of people from places like Tennessee, when they got through drinking them, they'd throw them out the car window and they'd land in the ditch. And this one pastor, he was going around collecting those aluminum cans and taking them back to the stores and getting the 10 cents deposit on them to try to make ends meet. He was struggling. I could tell you story after story like that. But... It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put him first. And there's a promise. And all these things shall be added unto you. God took care of our every need. I can't think of one time when we ever went without something. God always supplied it. We may have not known how it was coming or where it was coming from, but God supplied it. And we've lived on that promise for all of these years. God called me to be a director of missions. I saw a little ad in the Baptist and Reflector one day said, if God's calling you to be a director of missions, send us a resume. 
And it was like God stuck my heart with a knife. And I sat down and mailed them a resume. Cumberland Gap Baptist Association, Harrogate, Tennessee. I didn't even know where Harrogate, Tennessee was. Rocked on for two or three months. Hadn't heard anything. And then all at once my phone rang. And it was their chairman of their search committee. And he said, would you come and meet with our committee, you and your wife? We want to interview about the possibility of you being our director of missions. And I said, yes, I'll, I'll come and meet with you. I went and got the Tennessee Baptist, I don't know what you call it, that big thick book they used to put out after every annual meeting. Had all the information about every church in Tennessee and every association, all like that. And I started thumbing through there and I found Cumberland Gap Baptist Association. And I started looking. They had something like 79 churches. But most of those churches hadn't given a dime to the cooperative program or to any other missions. And I looked down at the bottom and it said, total income for the Cumberland Gap Baptist Association, $20,000. I thought, well, Lord, you know what's best. They called us as their director of missions, and we, we resigned our pastorate at Cedar Fork and moved up there. But God took care of it. God started working in the hearts of the people in those churches, and they started giving. Churches that had never given before to the association began to give. And God took care of us. He's met our every need down through the years. And He'll continue to do that. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I retired from being a director of missions. Somebody said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I believe God wants me to be an interim pastor. Well, you're the eighth place that I've served as an interim pastor since I retired. Somebody asked me one day, said, why are you so busy? You're retired. Why don't you settle down and enjoy life? I said, I'm enjoying what God's doing and what God is having me to do. There's nothing better than serving the Lord. So you choose this day who you will serve. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the things of this world. Just seek, put God first in everything. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Things are not all that important. But God is and people are. Those are the things we need to be concerned about as a church, as people. There's lost people all over the place. 
That should be our priority. Put God first and go after people to bring them to Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, so we stand in your presence tonight. We thank you, Lord, for just being God. You're the one that we can depend upon. You're the one who has never failed us, Lord, and you never will. Thank you for your call upon our lives. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you take care of every little minute detail in our lives. I pray tonight, if there's one under the sound of our voice that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that this would be that wonderful time that they would just come, surrender their life to you, and let you be their Lord and Savior. Maybe others here tonight that they're worried about their health or their problems, that they need to come and just surrender all that to you and let you take care of it, Lord. And Father, we pray that your will will be done in Jesus' name. Amen.